The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. Well, you guys are a talkative crew this morning. Did everybody enjoy summer, by the way? Ready for winter again? (laughs) Well, if you don't know me, my name is Scott, and as Jason mentioned at the beginning, I am one of the the pastors here at Artisan. And uh, if you do know me, you may know that uh, I am a little bit of a word nerd. Where are my word nerds at? Yeah. Yes, present, sir. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like words. I like thinking about uh, language and uh, word games and word studies and word origin and um, crossword puzzles. I like to say words sometimes a lot of them at a time without really making a point. (laughs) Um, But I'm a word person, and uh, kidding aside, and and, uh, what is there to do about word lovers except joke with them, um, I actually think that words do matter. And that's one of the reasons that I like them so much, because they have consequences, and, and the word that you choose to use matters. And I think even little tiny words matter. Take the word of, for example. How many letters in the word of, Grant? Two. The word of actually matters quite a lot. And, and um, let me give you an example. Have you ever heard the phrase, and I know that many of you grew up in the church, and so you probably have heard the phrase uh, when speaking about Christians and the way we should act, that we must be in the world but not of the world. Right. Wow, you guys are great. That's awesome. Um, And so, you know, if you've been in the church, that entire Christian lifestyles have been based on that truism, that we have to be in the world, but not of the world. But what does that even mean? That's a little tiny word, and you're basing a whole lot of important stuff on it. I actually think it's kind of abstract and doesn't necessarily have have the meaning that we may want to assign to it. Because if like me, if you're like me, you probably heard that phrase and thought, well, we must be in the world but not like the world, right? We're not supposed to be worldly, right? Are you tracking with me? Is that kind of your... Yeah, good. (laughs) I like feedback. That's good. The problem with that is that I think it's... My opinion is that it's based on a poor translation of one little verse in the Gospel of John. And that verse actually appears in the passage that we're going to look at today. And so I want to give you a little uh, sneak peek a few verses ahead. We'll start at the beginning in a minute. But in chapter 17 of John, Jesus prays for his disciples. The entire chapter is a prayer that he prays for his disciples. And um, at one point in the prayer, he says this. Now, if you 
grew up reading the New International Version, the NIV. A lot of you may, if you bring your Bibles to church, may have an NIV. This is what chapter 17, verse 16 says. Uh, It says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So, we could be forgiven for saying we should be in the world but not of it because Jesus explicitly prays not that we get taken out of it, but that we are not of it. The problem, again, is that that doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? It's kind of a weird way of saying something, and you're not sure what what the author might be getting at. However, if you were to look at that same verse in one of these red Bibles, which is the New Revised Standard Version, which I actually think is a better translation by and large. Here's what verse 16 says in that. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. That's different, isn't it? How many of you took a foreign language in school? French, Spanish, something like that. Um, In English, if we're talking about Scott's pen, we would use an apostrophe S, right? Is there apostrophe S in French or Spanish or German? No, how would you say Scott's pen in French? You don't have to say the French words, but you would say the pen of Scott. The pen of Scott. Right. It's the same way in Greek. There's no apostrophe sigma in Greek. <laughs> so possessiveness, possession, is, is uh, expressed with that phrase of so-and-so. So when Jesus says, I would pray that they would not be of the world, the NIV takes that quite literally and says, they are not of the world. The NRSV says, oh, no, that means possessive. So they do not belong to the world. And so if anybody comes to you and says, ooh, don't go to the club. We're supposed to be in the world but not of the world. You say, well, actually, we're supposed to be in the world but not belong to the world. So I'm going to go to the club. (laughs) So that's your little free uh, pre-sermon, your little prequel, right? But that is in the middle of this prayer. And so what I'd like to do is go back to the beginning of the prayer. And if you would like to take a red Bible from under your chairs or turn to your own Bible's uh, page with John 17, that would be great. And in the red Bibles, it's page 879. Uh, And I think probably more than usual, I'm going to be referring back to verses as I go through this today. And so you want to keep that open in front of you, I think, as we go through. And what I'd like to start out by doing is, um, with with apologies, I would like to read this whole chapter to you. It's not super long. It's 26 verses. It'll take me a couple minutes. But I want you to have this whole prayer in the back of your head as we're going through uh, the different verses of it. And so... This is the prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples. Well, first it says, after Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said. So what does it mean by after he had spoken these words? Well, uh, John, the author of this book, is is referring to actually a very long section of the book, chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, four whole chapters leading up to this prayer is what John means after he had said these things. And that, those four chapters in John are known by biblical students to be the farewell discourse. Uh, so Jesus knows he is nearing the end of his ministry and will be leaving the, uh, his, his physical earthly ministry soon. 
And so he prepares them with a very long uh, discourse. And this is where you have the, the foot washing story, and it's where you have the Last Supper and the story of the betrayal by Judas, and you have him predicting his death, and you have him promising the Holy Spirit, and then time and time and time again, repeatedly throughout that farewell discourse, you have him issuing the commandment that his disciples are to love one another. You see it over and over and over again, and actually it pops up in the prayer as well. So after he had said, spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, John 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm asking on their behalf... I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost except the one destined to be lost, so that the Scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. So, again, I apologize for reading that big, long passage, and 
Usually I break up that stuff a little bit so it's easier to take all take in. Um, but I want you to have, again, that whole prayer in your mind a little bit as we go through it bit by bit. So let's go back to the, to the beginning here uh, of chapter 17. Now this, the prayer starts out with Jesus praying a little bit for himself and for his glorification. Uh, and you see at the end of that first paragraph there, in verse 5, he says, Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. And so Jesus is praying and making note of the fact that he has been eternally present with God. It's a very theological, important theological uh, truth. But in verse 6, he, he shifts his prayer and it becomes clearly a prayer for his disciples, for the people who have followed him. And he starts out by saying that they ha- these disciples have been given to him by God. And that, in verse 6, that they have kept God's, what? His word. They were yours and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So it all starts with a word. And in fact, John's gospel, the, the, the whole story here that we're jumping into kind of toward the end, also starts with a word. You may remember the beginning of the, chap- uh, of the gospel of John, chapter 1, says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same theological principle that Jesus has just prayed about being present with God in creation. So here Jesus prays and he thanks God that some of the people to whom he's been sent have kept God's word and that they have believed in the words that he spoke. Verse 8, the words that you gave to me I have given to them and they have received them and know in truth that I came from you and they have believed that you sent me. So they've received in faith that truth that Jesus comes from the one true God. And in that faith, in that believing of the words he spoke, they are bonded to him. They belong to him. And in fact, right after that, Jesus moves to, into this little section where he talks about who owns these people. You know, to whom do they belong? Look at verse 10. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. So all these people that Jesus has been sent to by God the Father belong to him in some sense, and that, that belonging comes from their receipt of the words and their, their belief in him. So even before we get to verses 15 and 16, where we get that famous in the world but not of the world thing, we already have John recording this prayer of Jesus where Jesus is talking about who we belong to, who his followers belong to. And so the NRSV translation that we don't belong to the world actually makes a lot of sense in that context. It's already been set up that way. And now Jesus begins to talk about his preparations to depart from his disciples. He knows that the hour is coming when he will be crucified and when he will leave this mortal coil. And since he knows that he's going to be leaving them, he he prays and asks God to protect them. 
in his name. Verse 11b, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me. And how? What's the result of that protection? That they may be one. That unity is the source of our safety in the world, in a world that is beset by evil. And the source of that unity is the name of Christ. Protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one. See, we have all taken on, those of us who are Christians, the name of Christ, Christian. And just as our name reflects Jesus, our unity with each other reflects the nature of God. Jesus continues throughout this prayer to talk about how he and the Father are one, and that if we are one with each other, we are reflecting that unity of the Trinity. It's repeated several times. Verse 11, which we just read, it's in 20, 21, 23. Uh, You'll see it throughout if you read this again. Yet another important theological principle, and in fact, that is so important to us uh, as a church, that theological principle that it's embedded in our church DNA, if you will. One of our five core values is community. And if you've ever, if you're, if you were one of the people who's going through the Journey Together membership course, you probably have this very fresh in your mind. But if you've ever gone to our website artisanchurch.com, and the About Us section. The first page has our mission and vision and values on there. And our community values, this is our statement about why we value community. We are a covenantal family of authentic relationships and reconciliation in the image of God, who exists in perfect communion as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet one God. So we are one with each other in the same way that Jesus is one with the Father, which is either really deeply beautiful or maybe if you're very new here, that sounds a little creepy. (laughs) But I think we do a pretty good job of keeping it beautiful and not not making it weird. Jesus, knowing that he's going to leave his disciples, prays for their safety. But what he doesn't do is ask God to remove them from harm. So all you rapture types out there, You've got to square that little verse you find in Thessalonians with this principle that I'm about to tell you. Look at verse 15. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. Another translation might just say, protect them from evil. So it might be nice, might have been nice for Jesus to say, God... Father, Holy Father, protect them, remove them from all risk and all harm and all evil. But that's not at all what he says. In fact, he explicitly says the opposite. Instead, he asks that God would give them unity to keep them safe from evil. And that they would be set apart That's what that word sanctify means. Sanctify means to make holy, and holy just means set apart for special purposes. 
And so he says in verse uh, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So the best we're going to get is to be set apart (laughs) and made holy. We're not going to be taken out and made safe. And we're set apart and sanctified by the truth. And what is the truth? Well, it goes back to the same thing that we started out with. The truth is God's Word. And our unity comes from agreement with each other about that Word. And it's about here in the prayer where Jesus takes a beautiful turn. Really remarkable, if you ask me. Especially for those of us who are reading this 2,000 years later. And he shifts the focus of his intercession from the disciples who are right there before him in the moment to all of those generations of disciples who will become disciples as a result of the ministry of those who are with him in the moment. Verse 20, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. So he prays for us, essentially, doesn't he? And not only does he pray for us, but he prays that we would all be one. See, the the unity that comes from receiving the Word of God in faith and believing it, that unity extends, not to get all science fiction-y on you here, but it extends beyond the bounds of time and place. By believing in Jesus, we are bonded together, not only with each other, though that is definitely true, but also with Peter and James and John, and with Augustine and Athanasius, and with John Wesley, and, and yes, even John Calvin, and with Pastor George in Uganda and Bishop Wright in England. Yet another really important theological truth that is captured in our values. Now, I'm sorry to make this sound like a commercial for Artisan Church, but one of our other values is roots. And here's our statement of of that value. We are deeply rooted in the historic Christian faith as revealed in Scripture and worked out in the life of God's people through the ages. Now, we definitely do not look at this like some slavish, empty obedience to tradition for its own sake. Instead, we look at this as the truth of the Word having been handed down generation to generation to generation, all the way from Jesus through His original disciples, through their disciples and their disciples, until it reaches us. You know, in some um, higher church traditions, the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church and uh, to a certain extent in the Episcopal Church, they talk a lot about apostolic succession. In other words, the original apostles were bishops and they, by the laying on of hands, ordained the next bishop, and those bishops ordained the next, and the next, and the next. And so it's very important in those high church cultures that you can trace that lineage back 
Now, we Protestants gave up on that one a long time ago um, because, you know, Martin Luther had hands laid on him maybe, but after that, they were done. There was no more of that happening. And so we've lost that part of tracing this apostolic succession. But what Protestants would say, and I think they're right about this, I have a very soft spot for my Roman Catholic and Orthodox friends, um, but what Protestants would say, and I think they're right, is that that succession comes not from the actual people, but rather from the faith in the word that they spoke. And in that sense, we do share in the apostolic succession because we have believed the same words that they preached, that they heard and believed, that their ancestors spiritually heard and believed. And it's in that agreement in faith, in the same word, that we receive this protection that Jesus is talking about, the protection that comes from unity. So that's our benefit from being made one, according to the prayer of Jesus. But what is the benefit beyond that? What is an outward benefit, you might call it, of this unity, of this oneness? Look again at verse 21. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And so the outward result of our unity is that the gospel is spread. That anyone who believes in Jesus would have eternal life. John 3.16, very famous football stadium verse. And that Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. John 3.17, not as popular at football stadiums, but also very important. (laughs) It is in this unity with each other that those who do not believe see us as one with the Father. And I hate to say it, but the opposite holds true, that when people who do not yet believe in Jesus look into the church and see nothing but discord and disagreement, the gospel is hindered, it is paralyzed, and it doesn't spread, because all they see is our differences and our disengagement from each other and from God. And so, when we spend our time focusing on our differences of opinion, we not only violate the the very spirit of Christ's prayer for us, which would be bad enough, but we hinder the hearing of God's Word. I'll give you one example. There are those of us who believe that outreach is the highest calling of a Christian, that the truth of the gospel is spread by evangelism. And there are those of us who believe that justice is our highest calling as Christians, and that the truth of the gospel is good news for the poor. And I feel like we spend a lot of our time making our case to each other about those two things. 
sometimes very passionately, actually. And when that friendly discussion crosses the line into discord, our unity is broken. And I think the gospel stops moving. So at that point, let's be honest, it doesn't really matter which one is right, if one of them is right and the other one is wrong, which I think is a false dichotomy, but that's a different sermon. At that point, it doesn't really matter who's right because neither one of us is going to see our cause advanced because there is no unity. And Jesus concludes this prayer with one more reminder of God's love. This has been present, as I said, throughout the Gospel of John. You've heard these words many times throughout even this little prayer. But one more reminder that it's by His ministry that we know God. That those of us who know Him know the Father. And that the love the Father poured into the Son has been poured into us. That when we receive it by faith, the Son is made one with us and we are made one with God. You know, we're reading this prayer as recorded by John, whose name is at the top of the page. And there's a, a really neat story about John. Now, you may not know that, that uh, most of the apostles, most of the early followers of Jesus, uh, had, they, they died young. Let's just say that. Uh, and it wasn't because of disease. They were, they were executed, most of them. John dodged that bullet and lived to a ripe old age. And if you read St. Jerome's commentary, actually is a commentary on Galatians, which is a different book in the Bible. But he, he tells this story about John that had become part of the tradition to that point, about how John was known in the ancient church for his concern for love. Not surprising, given, given if you read his gospel, it's mentioned all throughout. And that he was so old that they had to carry him into the, the church. And whenever he was carried into the assembly, you know, you can imagine people making way for, for this elder statesman you know, probably the most important living Christian at the time. And as he was carried in, he would always say to the assembly, little children, love one another. And when his disciples got tired of this, Jerome says, they asked, Master, why do you always say this? And his reply was, it is the Lord's command. If this alone be done, it is enough. And it's so significant to me that Jesus, in this momentous final words to his disciples, and he's praying, but he's also speaking to them in this prayer, talks so much about that they ought to, to have unity with each other and that they ought to love one another and that it's in that unity that they're protected and in that love that they reflect the love of the Father uh, as expressed in Christ, his Son. And I wonder if we have validated that prayer or if we have violated that prayer. And if our words are truly 
his words. Looking back at verse 8 when he says, The words that you gave to me I have given to them, and they have received them. Are we truly speaking the words of Jesus, or are we speaking our own? And if they're our own, what are the consequences for the spreading of the gospel? For evangelism and for justice and for anything else that we might spend our time arguing about. And so, what I would like us to do, uh, we, have a, we have a little bit of time to do this, but maybe not quite as much time as I'd hoped, but I would like, to, I would like us to spend a few minutes uh, and pray together, specifically for our unity. Um, because I think it's so crucially important. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of my time up here, uh, some of you are here for the first time, and uh, we, we generally try not to do too many things that make first-time people feel totally uncomfortable. Um, this might be an exception, but that's okay. Uh, if you come back next week, if you manage to get back again, uh, I'm sure there will be nothing that makes you feel uncomfortable. It will be just be sunshine and roses. Uh, but I would like us to spend some time praying together. Now, we, we can't really do that as a, as a whole group. Uh, and so I guess symbolically it would be nice if we could all agree in prayer. Um, and that would be a wonderful expression of unity. Uh, but it's not totally practical with the time that we have. And so I'm going to ask you to, to break into smaller groups and just spend a very short amount of time, between five and ten minutes, praying for unity. And... That won't be all of us together, but at least it won't be one, 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 one throughout the entire congregation, right? So f- until maybe between five and ten after, you can circle up, you can move those chairs around, and if you are not a person who's comfortable praying in, in groups like that, it's totally okay just to stay quiet and to listen, and if you're not a person who believes in prayer, period, that's all right, we love having you here too. You can just listen and observe and, and that kind of thing. Um, but I'm thinking groups of maybe eight or ten so that it's comfortable for those who don't really feel like praying is their thing today. Um, but so there's enough people in the group where there will be a few who would pray for, for our unity. Pray, pray very specifically for, for our church and that we would be one with each other and one with God. And uh, that's all the direction I'm going to give you. So... Um, Break into groups of maybe eight or ten, and I will tell you when it's time to stop. Okay? All right. Do it. If you're praying now, you can finish the prayer that you're praying as I start. God, thank you for this room full of people and for the unity that has grown even in just the act of praying together. Uh, And it's my deep prayer that we would be unified by our mutual love and commitment to your son Jesus rather than divided by the differences that we might have in emphasis about the gospel, about theology, about translation, or any of those secondary and tertiary things. Make us one as you 
and the Father are one, Jesus. That we may accomplish your work. We pray these things in the name of God, who is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, there are different names for the sacrament of bread and wine. It's called Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, but as you know, it's also called Communion. And so we're going to celebrate Communion together uh, in our usual way, which is to just come and tear a piece of the bread and dip it in wine or juice uh, and receive that in faith as an act of remembrance of Christ's sacrifice for you, uh, and as always, as an act of unity with each other and with the church throughout time and space. Uh, and you can um, come to the table when, you, when you're uh, ready to, uh, and you can arrange your chairs when you get back or as you're going up, whatever. It'll be a little noisier than usual for communion, but that's okay. Um, but come to the table of communion in the spirit of unity in Christ, uh, and take and receive that in faith, uh, and we'll continue in worship. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com/podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.